All right, listen, uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Last two weeks, uh, uh, the text was like six verses long, and uh, we kind of dissected them. And uh, today's going to be a little different. John chapter 7. I'll read up to verse 27, and then we're going to skip to verse 40 and then finish the chapter there. I'll give you rhyme and reason in a second. Try to follow along, though, okay, guys? If you have your Bibles open, it follow along. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacle was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but, it, but me it hates, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up into the feast, I go not up yet unto the feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were going up, then went he also up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? There was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, he's a good man. Others said, nay, he deceives the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he taught. The Jews marveled, saying, how knoweth this man letter, having never learned? He's never studied. Jesus answered them and said, well, my doctrine is not mine, but he that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine of the teaching, whether they be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you go about, pardon me, why go ye about to kill me? The people answered and said, oh, he's got a devil. Who's going about to kill thee? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and you have marveled. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it was of Moses, but but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcised the man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision that the law of Moses should not be broken, why are you angry at me? Because I have made a man very whole, a whole on the Sabbath day. 
Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaks boldly. They said nothing unto him. Do do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is. But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Now fast forward to verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of truth, this is a prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scriptures say that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Well, then came the officers of the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said unto them, Well, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them to the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? How many of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? Duh, couple. That's my paraphrase, sorry. But this people who knoweth not the law... Are cursed. Wow. Nicodemus said unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hears him and know what he doeth? They answered and they said unto him, Nicodemus, art thou also of Galilee? That's really kind of a low blow. Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. Would you stand with me? And let's pray again for the scriptures. Father, we thank you so much just for the opportunity to be together and now to look into your word. Lord, it's true that there's so many opinions about you out there. There's so many books that have been written. Some of these books are stirring and some of them, Father, that just they, they grab a hold of our attention. But Lord, really, we're con- all we're concerned about is what your opinion is. Lord, how do we? How do we navigate around all these different opinions about you? I pray, Father, that as we go through this text, you will show us. You will show us, Lord, that there is just one opinion that really counts. And it comes from this word. I pray again for ears to hear and hearts to receive. That if there's anyone here this morning, God, that's just, I don't know, Lord, maybe they're weighed down. The cares of this world or maybe they're facing um, a difficult Thing, God, I pray for just such a time as this, you would just allow them to hear your voice this morning. We love you, God. Ask for your anointing upon your word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen. Again, I forgot to do the memory verse there, so if you could just throw it up there real quickly. There we go. Again, if you'll just jot that down, Romans. 1013, 
uh, put it to memory and the address especially for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, uh, so that's your memory verse for the week. Sorry for just that quick blurb there, but getting back to our study now, chapter 7 here. After It tells us that after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, which again is the northern part of Israel, and he would not go down into the, the Judea area, especially around Jerusalem, and the main reason is because he knew that they were plotting um, his death, the murder, you know. In verse 2, it tells us uh, it was uh, during the Jews' Feast of the Tabernacle, which is, gives us a pretty great timeline there, um, if you're really mapping out his life and his ministry. Um, there were three mandatory feasts that the Jewish males had to keep. There was the Feast of Tabernacles that we see here. There's also It was also called the Feast of Booths. That's when they would commemorate, they would think about the wilderness journey that the Jews went through. There was also the Feast of Pentecost, and then there was the Feast of Passover. There were three mandatory feasts they had to go to. Now, again, to kind of give you a timeline uh, where Jesus is at in his life, he is between six, five to six months away from the cross, dying on the cross for our sins. And at this time period, it's really intense. It's intense for the disciples. It's intense even for the people that are around him. You know, there's, the emotions are high. It's an intense time even for Jesus. He's very concerned about this timeline. He doesn't want to go prematurely because he knows that might, it might be a stumbling stone or it might be a, a, an entrapment for him. So he's very concerned about this time period. Uh, verse 3 says that his brothers therefore said to him. Now, this is his biological brothers. He said to him, depart hence, go into Judea, go down into Jerusalem nearby, that your disciples, the one who wants to follow you, also may see, see the, the works that thou doest. They, they're really pointing out to one particular work that he's done. We'll see that in just a minute. But, man, there's this real hang-up about him healing on the Sabbath. More than anything else that he has done within his earthly ministry, this is the one where the, or the Pharisees and the scribes says, if we have any other reason, this is the one we're going to nail him on. He broke our Sabbath laws. Going on uh, in verse 4, it says, For there is no man that do, do, doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. Well, that was not Jesus' desire. He didn't want the recognition of man. He knew that his time would come when everybody would, when that announcement would be made. Hosanna, come save us now, you know. Uh, but it was not the time then. It says, if thou wilt do these things, show thyself to the world. Now here's, here's, here's their hearts. This is the reason they were doing this. For, wasn't that they wanted their brother to be, you know, famous and to be. This is why they did. They, neither did his brothers believe in him. Now, that's amazing to me, because even when we read um, James's epistles and we read the book of Jude, you don't see anywhere in those two epistles where they're mentioning him, by the way, where they have brother of Jesus. 
And some have assumed, or maybe I could use the word to speculate, that they're somewhat embarrassed of their disbelief back during the life of Jesus. That they really, at one time, if you remember this story, at one time when Jesus was in the thicket of ministry, they came to where he was, Mary and the boys and some of his sisters. See, Mary and Joseph had other kids after the birth of Christ. And when they went and they found him and, they, and the disciples came in and said, hey, Jesus, hey, your mother and your brothers, they're outside, they're desiring to see you. And Jesus stops and looks at the crowd, waves his hand, he says, who's my mom and who's my brother? But those that seek the will of God, that's my brother and sister. Now, he wasn't really dissing them, and he, he really did love Mary, his mother. Because the last thing he ever did, and from the cross, he gave her, uh, uh, John, the care of, a, uh, of his mother. There was a lot of love for his mom. But he points out the fact, though, that his family are those who do the will of the Father, which is you and I, by the way. But anyway, they didn't want to believe in him. They would after the resurrection. And I wonder what that was like. (laughs) Imagine appearing to James after the resurrection. Imagine the response. You can only imagine because we we have no commentary on it in the scriptures. Sorry, bro. You know, imagine Jude. Both of them would just call themselves doulos, bondservants of Jesus Christ. You know, others would feel very free at this time to mock him. Religious leaders um, outright and openly started to reject him. They also wanted him dead. Common people thought, some of them felt that he was the Messiah. Others thought he was a good man. Others thought he was a deceiver. Uh, a deceiver. And there were all kinds of opinions around Jesus at that time. And they weren't just opinion. They were contradictory opinions. Almost at the at different ends of the spectrum, you know, like he's a he's a prophet. No, he's just a good man. Uh, could he be the Messiah? What are you crazy? The Messiah, you know, and they started laying down the location where he's. But and everybody had an opinion about the Messiah. That was a problem then. And it's still a problem today. And I guess rationally, one would think, well, somebody's got to be right. Somebody's got to have the right opinion. In the midst of all these opinions, you just see sometimes just total mass confusion. Uh, But keep in mind, though, these opinions back then and even today have an eternal stake. What we think of Jesus, our opinions, which sometimes leads to conclusions. Conclusions, you kind of think, oh, that's the final state of all, all your opinions. You know, I like to use the word conviction. See, the dilemma that people face today uh, is that a person has to come to a decision about Jesus. They have to. But how do you do that when there's such a sea of opinions out there? My goodness, they're either vocally voice through a lecture or maybe it's written down in writings maybe it comes across in song poetry but everybody has an opinion about life and about death and about is there an eternal life you know some haven't my dad's opinion was hey i don't know but when i get there i hope i can just get in there i'll just sweep the streets with saint pete the wrong opinion dad 
See, when I go through John chapter 7 here, I'm not the kind of a pastor teacher that likes to use steps and keys to know something. But uh, So forgive me this morning. Usable keys. I'm going to just use that word for better or less. But there are things in this, in this chapter that I see that helps us really to navigate around opinions. Because not all opinions are wrong. Some of them are <laughs> totally wrong, you know. But some aren't. So the first one that I see in verse 7 is where Jesus said, The world cannot hate you, but it hates but it hate, um, but me it hates. And this is the reason, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. And then he says, you go head up to the feast. I go not up yet to the feast, for my time is not yet full come. In other words, it's just, again, he's very concerned about this timeline. He doesn't want to go um, prematurely, and it, but he can't go late either. There's going to come a time where Jesus will weep over Jerusalem and say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if thou had only known that this was thine hour. He had to say it that hour. He couldn't have been 24 hours early or late. It had to be that day, that perfect day where he rides into Jerusalem and he receives the praises of man. Hosanna, he's the king, come save us now. I want to read something to you. It's, it's, called, it's out of the Phillips translation. It's in just another translation from Matthew 7. It says like this, and I'll just listen carefully. If you are going to do uh, these things, this is his brothers, let the world see what you're doing. For not even his brothers had any faith in him. And Jesus replied by saying, it is not yet the right time for me. But any time is right for you. You see, it is impossible for you to arouse the world's hatred. But I provoke hatred because I show the world how evil its deeds really are. That's a pretty accurate translation of of John there. Most of the opposition that Jesus is going to receive is because he really did speak candidly about their wickedness or, or directly about the sin issue. He would openly talk about right and wrong. He would openly talk about what was righteous and what was evil. He talked about what was true and what was false. And many people had offended that. Whether it was just at, to one person or to a crowd, it seems that Jesus always challenged them about their lives and about repentance. And there was a lot of people back then, and there's a lot of people today, when challenged with that very, very issue about repentance, they mock it, they ridicule you. And in a way, they try to make you feel stupid. They point to the crazy guy with the sandwich board. It says, repent, you know, the end of the world is ready to happen. And so they always come up with this, this kind of a mocking thing. You know, hardly does anyone really say that the real reason I don't follow Christ is because I love my fornication. <laughs> well, that might be extreme, but 
there might be some that will, will be honest to you and they might even tell you that the reason they don't want to follow Christ is because, well, they just, they don't, they're not willing to give up that person they're living with. I've heard people say, you know what, Harry, if, can I be honest with you? I just love my addiction. You know, I, I, it, Harry, I'll tell you, if I really invite Jesus into my life, I got to invite him into my business. And I know I do things a little shady and I know he's not going to, I think he's going to ruin some of my finance and some of my, you know, my profits. Listen, I, I think it's a mistake, but I think we all can say we sure do appreciate their honesty, huh? That somehow God has shined or shown light upon a sin issue, and yet they're very clear and very honest. You know, I'm j- I just don't want to give it up. But most people, they'll, they won't do that. Most people will have their own opinion. They'll mock people when you, they're confronted with the truth. And they'll give reasons. And you know what, guys? We have people in our own lives that will do the same thing. Family members, close, even some of our kids. Maybe it's just somebody that we work with. And when you try to share the gospel with them, they'll give you some kind of reason. And rather than just letting God say, hey, here's the real reason you won't accept him. But you'll say, you know, the church is full of hypocrites. That's why I won't receive them. But that isn't the real reason. Well, you know, I, the real reason, because I just don't believe, I, I think people are basically good. Well, that, well, guess what? That's your opinion, but that's not a correct opinion. Rather than say, this is the real reason I don't want to follow him. I just love my sin. See, Jesus was sent into the world to die for us. Many of us know that. But there's also a passage in the scripture where it says to us that he came to be a light and to reveal man's wickedness. To shine light on evil. Maybe it warrants. Go ahead and turn to John 3.16. Oh, Harry, you already know that one. Turn there anyway, will you? Because there's four or five verses that I'm going to read there. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, he agaped the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Did you ever hear of this opinion? Hey, there's got to be more, more roads that lead to heaven than just one, you know? You can't tell me that this Jesus is the only one. That's their opinion, but the Bible says that Whosoever should believe in, not many ways, but in him. Look at verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn it, certainly not. But that the world through him might be saved, literally in the Greek, that they might experience salvation. Salvation is something we experience. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world. The problem, men 
love darkness rather than the light. Man just loved their sin because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light. Now that's pretty strong, isn't it? But it's true. Neither comes to the light. Why? Lest his deeds should be reproved. The truth of, of, of this is the main reason why people will not come to a saving knowledge of Christ after, all, after you've shared the, the word with them, after you've shown the light, after everything you possibly did, the main reason is, well, you know, why don't we just say, hey, hey, dude, why don't you just be honest with me? What is it? What is it? I've given you all the benefits of being saved, that he, he can wash us from our sins, that he can give us a hope of eternity, that we can have, you know, a hope and a, and a peace that surpasses human understanding. No, I don't want that. My opinion's this. That's not your opinion. The opinion of your... My opinion is you, you love the darkness more than you love the light. You know, that's really God's view of things, isn't it? And that's really putting a finger on the pulse, isn't it? Go back to John for me, guys. You look at a person, and you realize that this person will not choose to follow him because something in his life has been revealed, and he just simply does not want to give it up. So how do I navigate around everyone's different opinions? Just by knowing the simple truth that the real reason people reject isn't because of these superficial opinions. It's really because they just love their sin. And now I, I can accept that. And now I even know how to pray. You know, I can ask the Lord, please, Father, man, bring them to this place. Show them the ugliness. Show them the rottenness. Show them the decay of the world. Bring them to a place where, you know, their sin is going to take and lead them down a path of destruction. Show them the light, like the prodigal son. Let them come to the end of themselves and look down and see what they're really eating. You might say you love it, but you're just eating pig's food, man. And people start to realize, wow, there is a hope. There is a God that loves me. Second thing that helps me navigate around these different opinions is there in verse 24. We will be jumping around in our passage. But in verse 24, it says this, Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Again, the reason some of these guys are just rejecting him is because they will not... They will not judge him based upon a righteous judgment or should I say a righteous assessment of him. Look at back in verse 21. Jesus answered and said, I have done all uh, one work. And again, talking about that circumcision on a Sabbath day, I've done one work and you all marvel. Harry's paraphrase, you're bugged out of your mind. They were short-circuiting. How could he do this on a Sabbath day? So he t gives them an Old Testament lesson here. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not because it was from Moses. No, it goes all the way back to Abraham. And you, on a Sabbath day, well, you'll circumcise a man. And if a man on a Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, why are you angry at me? Because I have made a man every whit whole on a Sabbath day. Again, one of the reasons the religious leaders were plotting his death, his murder, was because he healed on a Sabbath day. 
And in essence, what he was doing, he's challenging their traditions. He's challenging their, their interpretation of the Mosaic law. You know, I'll give you a couple incidences where, where, where he healed on the Sabbath day. Remember the guy with the withered hand? How many of you guys remember that story? Number one is how did the man with a withered hand, which would have made him an unclean person, enter into a synagogue to begin with? I think he was planted in there just to see what Jesus would do on a Sabbath. And as Jesus was in there and he was ministering, he looks around, he sees with a, with a man with his winter, withered hand. And he says, stretch it forth in that hand. I could hear crack, snapple, and pop. Wow. Well, again, Harry's paraphrase, they were bugged out of their mind about that as well. Remember the man at the well of the pool of Bethsaida, right? There he is. He's been there for a few decades. He's crippled up. And the tradition has it. If an angel would come down and touch the pool there, whoever got into the pool first was healed of their deformities, you know. And so Jesus comes up and he goes, buddy, why are you still laying here? And the guy goes, you believe it, man. I'm crippled. And every time I try to get close to that pool, man, somebody beats me too it. Jesus looked down at him and he says, man, roll up your mat and go home. Guess what day Jesus did that? On the Sabbath again. See, what Jesus is saying, look, look, you guys, you'll do this ritual of circumcision on a Sabbath, which, was all, uh, which is almost a whole day, day's celebration. Plus, they have to pull out a knife. Plus, there's the cutting of the foreskin. Plus, there's all the medical things that would go along with bandaging. You know, he goes, you're breaking the law. You're breaking the law, aren't you? And, of course, they didn't think they were doing it because they were keeping the Mosaic law when it came to Sabbath. And he goes, no, no, man. See, what they were doing is they weren't making a righteous judgment. They were not assessing this at all. Not correctly, anyway. You know, there's so many people, pardon me, so many people who completely and logically and consistently, they come to their opinion when it comes to life decisions, you know, every point. But when it comes to Jesus, for some reason, when it comes to Jesus, man, they're, they're, they're emotional and they're completely irrational. They're not thinking correct. You know, here you are, you're just, here you can have eternal life. Why don't you, no, I don't want to because my opinion is, that doesn't make a bit of sense. You know, you, you don't have to go to hell. Yeah, well, your opinion, I, I don't think hell exists. What do you mean? We're living in hell. Did you ever hear somebody say that? We're in hell now. <laughs> it's irrational. When it comes to Jesus, their, think, their thinking becomes completely, not only emotional or irrational, but it's prejudiced. Prejudice. Someone once said that prejudice is a great time saver. You can form opinions without having to get the facts. See, they'll judge everything as it pertains to life. Some will say they do it quite fairly. They will investigate thoroughly and judge things with an open mind. But when it comes to Jesus, his life and his ministry, I think it's because it's spiritual. 
Because God is shining a light on their sin or their lives. And they're showing, he's showing them that they fall short of his glory. You know, guys, I think that what Jesus is saying here is that I don't mind you judging me. And I don't even mind if critically you assess me. But when you do it, could you just be fair? Could you just could you just be consistent on your on your assessment of me or you will end up rejecting me, have nothing to do with me, and it will be solely based on your prejudices. So that helps me. It helps me to navigate around all these really weird, different opinions. They're not scriptural. There's nothing to base it on. It's just something that maybe perhaps they were grown up in. Some of these religious systems, you know, they formulate opinions about God and about his son. And then when you hear them, you're thinking, that's not even remotely close. I would love to go into all the different types of of prejudices that are out there within religious systems today. But some of them are so absurd, you think... Are you kidding me? You really believe that a guy had a pair of special glasses where he could read Egyptian hieroglyphics and give us another gospel? Hello? Third thing. Look at verse 41 and 42. Others said, this is Christ. Some really did believe. But then some others had an opinion saying, no, Christ, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture say that Christ cometh from the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem where he was or where David was? You know, I think sometimes we've got to be very careful to realize there are many people who will claim that they, they represent God. Some will even claim that they speak for God. Some will say that they have the authority of God. And yet when you listen to them and you dissect and you just look very carefully, you realize they know nothing about the Bible at all. Nothing. You have to be careful with talk hosts, you know, or whatever you call those programs where they come across like they know everything about God. And then you compare what they say with the Bible and you think, okay, thank you. I love your... Your opinion, but it just does not, uh, it doesn't line up with what the Bible says. You know, some common people, ordinary people, just like back then, they're saying, hey, look, the, the Messiah's got to come from David, right? From the line of David. He's got to, geographically, he's got to come from a certain area, you know? There were some who concluded uh, and had an opinion that he was the Messiah. The others were saying, no, he can't be the, the prophet. Even in verse 40, if you look a little further up, some saying, well, this is a prophet. All kinds of opinions. 41, this is the Christ. So some people started to question, no, no, the Messiah cannot come from the northern parts of Galilee. When the Messiah comes, he has to come from Bethlehem. Micah chapter 4, verse 2. And so if you look at verse 43, there was a great division among the people because of him. Yeah, it was because of him, but more so it was because of their opinions about him. And it happens all the time. 
Here you have a group of people who are rejecting Jesus Christ as their personal Messiah simply because, well, to be frank with you, they just simply didn't do their homework. If they did do their homework, they would have realized that Jesus indeed wasn't, was born in Bethlehem. If they really did their homework, they would realize that he was a direct descendant of, of David because it came through the line of Mary. Their ignorance is not just experienced, though, guys, from the common or common man or the ordinary Christian. But even within the religious system, there are some who just, you know, they're again, they're just ignorant when it comes to the word of God. Look at verse 52. The religious, they, the religious leaders answered, and they said unto him, Art thou from Galilee? Search and look. They're speaking to Nicodemus, by the way. Search and look. For out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Whoever said that, Really didn't put no thought behind it. Because man, they were wrong. You, you, you think of uh, Jonah, Hosea, Nahum, uh, Amos, Elijah, and Elisha did most of the work up in the northern parts of Galilee. For them to make such a blanket statement, you can just hear it. Our opinion is that, and well, they were wrong. They didn't do their homework. Be truthful with you, we really don't know that much about the origin of most of the prophets. We don't. But it was, it was apparent that they were very ignorant when it came to the word of God and the life of Jesus. You know, it's very, very important for all of us to remember When it comes to opinion, we need to really search the scriptures to formulate a thought. Because when you want to give an opinion to somebody, remember this. There is an eternal uh, stake stated this or stake. We just can't feel like we can throw. You know, the other day, I got to wrap this up, I think. That clock says 10 to 12, and that one says quarter after 10. So I'm thinking that one. Oh, quarter. Okay, it's quarter. I got it. I can't see these. I need to get my glasses checked. I was reading a book the other day, just to give you an example. Old book. Book that a lot of people recommend. I, I don't want to give, I, I don't want to give the title because I don't know when to go home and burn it, but. There's a lot of great things in this book as I go through it. I was just reading a couple. Maybe I went through three chapters as I was laying there falling asleep. And it just, it, it just stirred my emotions. Man, I'm, oh, man, if the church could be like this. And oh, if my private life could be like that. Oh, man, I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be a little revival. And I kept reading and I kept reading his experiences and what and this and that. I went, wait a minute. This all sounds good, but I, I can't find, honestly, I couldn't find one thing that he claimed he experienced where he could base it on scripture. 
He might be up here teaching and saying, you know, my opinion is if you just do this or that, you can experience this and that and go here. And yet that, that's your opinion, but there's nothing in the Bible whatsoever about that. Now, I'm not saying if you have your own opinion about some, something like that or your own opinion that it's, it's completely wrong. I would just say, please be cautious to throw it around like it's your final conclusion and it's your conviction when you can't base it on Scripture. When he comes, we know he's coming from Bethlehem. Well, he did. Well, when he comes, he'll be from the line of, or the, the line of David. He was. Well, when he comes, he'll be a good man. He'll be a prophet. Okay. Well, at least you got scripture to base that on. Listen, closing, I just want to give you my, my fifth. That's why I love the Romans road, by the way. Because a lot of them, hey, I'm basically a good person. No, you're not. <laughs> well, if I just live a good life, I'll get to heaven. No, you won't. Can we support that with the scriptures? It's not just our opinion, is it? It's the opinion of the word of God. You know, <laughs> these guys that come back. And they said, hey, why, why didn't you bring him back? You know, they said, man, we have never heard anyone speak quite like that. He said, in a way, they're saying, we've been listening to you guys all these years, man, and you don't hold a candle up to what he says about God. And you know what they, you know what he, they said? And I thought, my, what, what an ignorant thing to say. Well, the reason you said that is because you are, you're cursed. And anybody that believes in him is probably just cursed. What a low blow. But in closing, I want to go fast forward up to verse 17. I think this is important for us. Again, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, the teaching, whether he be of God or whether I speak of my, myself. You know, here he supplies the absolute foolproof way to know way, way to know truth about his teaching foolproof something that you can navigate around opinions and you know bottom line guys you and I born again we don't live by blind faith like so many do you know how you know when a person's living by blind faith by the way is when they use the words well, I hope so you don't have to hope so. You can know so. What he declares here, that every person who has a desire to know absolute truth starts with obedience. Well, what do you mean, Herr? If you notice that if any man will do his will, any man, he opens it up to anyone. If he makes it conditional, if you do this. Well, what's that mean? Navigating around opinions. Everybody has a, just opened the Bible. And when you begin to read the Bible. And listen, if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior. Hey, I dare you to pick up a Bible. Forget what man's opinions are saying. Forget what the TV host gal is saying. 
pick up a Bible, start in the Gospel of John and just read it. And then when you see something that, and you know God is shining the light on your life as it concerns something, then obey it. And you know what you'll find out? That isn't just an opinion. It's God's word. And you watch your life being changed. And as your life is being changed, you discover what absolute truth is. I remember this conversation that, um, Richard, you can come out. I remember that he, uh, Dawkins and Ravi Zacharias was having this real heated debate. And I kind of like watching them, but I have to relax for like a day just to get my nerves back, you know. But I remember Dawkins was going on this thing about no one can really know absolute truth. And he went on for like 20 minutes. He just sort of took over the whole stage. And Ravi was just sitting there. And so he just looked over uh, at, at Dawkins and said... <laughs> He goes, so there is no absolute truth. And he goes, absolutely, there is no absolute truth. And, and Zachariah said, are you absolutely sure? Because the truth of the matter is, there is absolutes. And some of these absolutes is Jesus loves us. And he loves us enough to go die for us. And we don't have to worry about man's opinion and what other people think. All we have to worry about is what God's opinions are and have a personal conviction towards it. Amen, church? It starts today. So don't watch these books, guys, please. Watch the books. Watch the different teachings. Be a disciple. Be a learner. Be a Berean that's of noble character. You don't have to buy everything that everybody is saying about their opinions. Amen, church? Let's start. Let's stand together. Next week, we'll talk about being thirsty. We'll still be in John chapter 7. So study, study ahead. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. See, my opinion. Please read your Bibles. If you have a hard time with the old king, get a new king. If you're having a hard time with that, find something that you can just read Bible-wise. <laughs> Not the shack or whatever that crazy book was called. You know what? Even titles give it away sometimes. Remember when, won't mention the author's name, but the purpose-driven church, purpose-driven this, the purpose-driven. I, I look at the covers of the books and I think, he's not a cowboy. He doesn't drive anything. He's not driving a herd. He's a shepherd. And the sheep knows his voice and they follow him. He doesn't drive. You're saying, oh, Harry. No, I think it's important because an eternal stake isn't there. You know, you've got to be careful. Just simply read the word, right? And just allow the Holy Spirit to be your best. John, we went over that in the IBS course. You need no man to teach you. You have the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you. You know why John penned that out? Because in the last days, there were going to be false teachers. And he goes, listen, don't bank on the false teachers. Just bank on the Holy Spirit of God. He'll lead you into all truths. 
Either that's true or it's just one of the greatest lie ever extended to mankind. We will trust in the Holy Spirit of God. And if you don't know Jesus, just allow him to shine his light upon your life. I guarantee you, you'll be saying something like this. I am a sinner because your word tells me I am. And I come short of your glory. So right now I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. I believe in my heart. You didn't stay in the grave, but you rose from. And the Bible says you will be saved. God's spirit will come into yours and you will be resurrected to life. Simple. There'll be prayer people up here, a prayer team. If you've never prayed that prayer, you come down saying, you know, I've never really prayed that before. And they'll help you. They'll pray with you. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, help us to be disciples. Help us to be those who learn about you. And it's not wrong to have opinions, Lord, but I pray that our, our, our opinions, God, will be solely based upon your word and your word alone. We love you, God. Thank you again for this text. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. God bless you guys.